rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. Okay, Richard, so we've reached the end of In the Flesh. Last week, you thought there would be a cliffhanger to end this series, and there there kind of was, but I don't want to talk about the cliffhanger quite yet. I, I think how I want to start this podcast off is by talking about the fact that I feel like the last two episodes, and specifically the last episode, are really sort of repudiations of what the show was attempting to do this season. Mm. And And what I mean by that is... The show was very much, we talked a lot about how the show was broadening its focus in terms of of setting and in terms of, of story in this whole season. And the last couple episodes really threw that away and really just kind of focused once again on Rorton and again on these personal stories. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's at once broadening and at once making the world a little too small. We talk, and I'll talk, we'll talk a little more on this, but again, with the whole Kieran is the first risen, uh, what that means, you know, the fact that these, this tiny town is standing in for a microcosm, but no, it is cosmically important in and of itself, um, uh, there are a lot of coincidences here. Um, Maxine turns into a car- tar- cartoonish supervillain at the end. Um, I didn't like the ending. I I I felt disappointed by these episodes. It it's not a great ending, and I think that you know I I like the fifth episode more than the last episode, and I think that the reason why is that once again the fifth episode is really telling a, a self contained story. Yeah. Uh, about Simon through the use of the flashbacks, and I, I have issues. Well, you know, I, I, I take some some issue with you know that storyline, and we'll talk about that. But but on the whole, I think it it at least is entertaining and, and and works well on an episodic level. But really, what it comes down to for me is you know, do you buy the the events that happen? And looking back on it now, I think that the show is maybe not it's a little too subtle i think you know it was telegraphing this stuff with amy all throughout the series the shaking and the tremors and the the medicine wearing off and not working and things of this nature and i'm not sure i mean obviously they they knew where they were going with this that that amy was i don't know becoming alive again i'm not even sure like how that's possible it seemed to be something that is stillborn a little bit, of course, because at the end of the series, the two employees from the pharmaceutical company are digging up her body. And so, assumedly, that was going to be the, the arc of the story for yeah. a, a, po- a possible series three of this, which, of course, never happened. So, that part of it feels unsatisfying. And I think you also see that in, in Kieran's very brief uh, yes. uh, scene where his hand is shaking as well. And he's also indicating- crying a, an actual tear, which I, it's ambiguous if that's something he could have done before. But to me, my my it, it implies to me that that's a part of becoming quote unquote human again, too. But right. And so, you know, it's it's ambiguous as to what exactly is going on, you know, is this happening in Wharton? Is this happening to, to Amy and, and Kieran? Because they were some of the first undead to rise, and so they're going to be the first undead to become not undead. I, Is you know, this it, a it, it, long-term it, effect of neurotriptyline that's just going to happen eventually to everybody? I mean, I, I get the yeah. sense that that's what season— it, because Season one was 
a story in its of itself. Season two stops becoming a story in and of itself and starts setting up season three by episode four or five. And because we get no season three, it feels I would have rather they'd wrapped it up into something. Right. And I, you know, I think that you are seeing some of the limitations of how British television is made because, you know, they, they make the entire thing and then the yeah. BBC or whoever decides whether or not they, they want to commission another season. And so they don't get the kind of opportunities that American television does to, to wrap things up in that way, because when a show is canceled, yeah. they, they're, you know, they're not usually still in production. So I, I think in some respects, the show was perhaps a little too optimistic about a possible season three, especially because of the fact that this was on, I mean, not to get too like inside baseball about it, but this was on BBC three, which as I understand it was like on the chopping block a lot. And so kind of the, the implication there is that they probably should have known that they weren't going to get a season three or that it was going to be a possibility. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if we're not sure if the show itself will be canceled or not. So we'll answer on a cliffhanger. So the fans, but if your network's not going to exist, then I mean, I did a little reading and apparently Dominic Mitchell is the fellow's name that you keep forgetting. Um, he wants to do a, you know, he would love to do a season three or at least a movie or something like that. And maybe we will see, you know, in the flesh, the movie that's going to resolve all of this. I think he said he would be able to resolve the story in a 90 minute special, but will that ever happen? Probably not. It, it probably won't. I mean, I think that the BBC still probably controls uh, the, the intellectual property and they don't seem to be interested in science fiction anymore. That is not called Dr. Who. Yeah. So. And I'm, you know, Oh, everyone, you know, people are saying, Oh, Netflix could pick it up again. If, you know, sure, a deal could me be made, but you know, I doubt the show would be popular enough to make the deal worth it. You know, I I would not think so either. And it's not even on Netflix, so I don't know why Netflix would do it. I mean, Hulu might do it, but same difference. Yeah, lots of lots of people would have to watch it on Hulu. But I I do want. I mean, aside from that, though, I think that well, we're the, doing the our part was... to make people watch it. So you know, all folks, if you want to see a season three of this. <laughs> Right into your local congressperson. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that what's interesting about that, though, is, or getting back to, to the neurotryptophan stuff, your theory that it has something to do with long-term effects of neurotryptoline, because the storyline in the fifth episode where, where Simon was the, the first uh, undead, the first PDS sufferer, whatever you the want to call it. The first him, risen. <gasps> to, yeah, to... And we also need to talk about your theory that he is the undead prophet because he obviously was not. Yeah, of course. But, well, that, that shoots that down, but okay. But, you know, I don't know that I buy that theory, though, because Simon was the first undead to be on neurotryptoline. So you would think if that was the case that like long-term exposure to neurotryptoline would cause you to become human again, that Simon would be one of the first undead to become human, and he's not. Yes or no, first- but everybody's body chemistry is different and simon did pickle himself in life so uh you know it, well i i think your theory is wrong not because it couldn't be right but because it doesn't fit in with the milieu of this show fair enough that the the second series really went down a mystical road and i cannot ignore the the fact that amy and kieran who are identified in this series as two of the first undead to rise, like ever, uh, are also the undead that we see becoming human already. Yeah, yeah, it can. It 
and maybe that is what the case is that you know the the state of being undead is something that does have an expiration date and you know two years from the end of the second series the undead will be all be again quote unquote human again that is possible or maybe there is you know we don't know if there is i you know, something in the water about Rorton or whatever, or there's, you know, a meteorite underneath that that's radiating out and, you know, dealing with these people. We don't know that. Again, season three, assumedly, would have gone into that. And I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily, I mean, I think it's probably appropriate for us to, to sort of speculate about what a possible season three would have looked like, because, you know, the show, I think it's satisfying. I mean, you may disagree with that. I think the show on the whole is satisfying in the last episode while I don't really feel like there's any huge plot elements to it that I feel that are that are sort of like begging for a for a follow up. Certainly, I think a series three would have been interesting, but I don't necessarily feel like the show is 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 missing anything necessarily. Um, But the, the fact of the matter is, like in these two episodes the show is really leaning on the idea that there's a lot of sort of mystical supernatural elements going on here. And, you know, the first season again was a very, very particular look at a very personal story, you know, looking at these, these PDS sufferers coming back to Rorton in this small town. And the second series very much broadened that out into, you know, how do we treat, uh, uh, you know, immigrants? How do we treat queer people? How do we treat whoever in society that, you know, normal society, quote unquote, um, looks down on. And I just wonder what Dominic Mitchell was thinking in starting to make the undead human again. What does, what would that have said about the, the themes of the show? I I don't know. Yeah. Especially all of Kieran's late series, uh, proclamations of you know this is who i am this is what i am you know i am this person i'm not you know what do you mean what i used to be this is who i am all of that it does kind of undermine those themes if um if they become flesh and blood human beings once again what what does that say about you know there is this conflict between this the supremacy of these two species, right? You have humans who are saying, you know, we're rational, we aren't going around and eating people, you know, we're better than the zombies. And then the undead who are saying, well, you know, they're just as violent, they're just trying to survive, and, you know, we are a superior species, we don't eat, you know, we are chosen by God, all of those things. And I can see there being a desire to blur that line even further, because, Amy becomes 100% human at the end. Well, she was an undead. What does that mean? What does that mean for the, you know, what is an immigrant who is fully assimilated into a society who has had, you know, the children of an immigrant who was born and lived their entire life? And what does that mean? I mean, there are some themes that could be teased out later from that, certainly. And I think it would be... I can see a season three doing an interesting take on those themes, but um, it does run the risk again of undermining it. Yeah, because you know, I, I, I we should talk about about the um, the end of the series then, because I, I do wonder about how you feel about the way it went out. Because you you seem more unsatisfied than I am. Although I and- will say I think a second watch may have helped it a little help may help me a little bit about it um 
it is part of a I was expecting it to go in one direction and it went in another direction and watching it again knowing the direction it came in I may be able to appreciate for what it is and I didn't yeah I, I think that might be the case. I think that's fair because obviously the entire second series was setting up this idea of the second rising. And I think you were really expecting the show to go down that road yeah. of, of actually having a second rising or it was going to be a cliffhanger where, you know, po- bodies start popping up or something. And obviously it does not do any of that. I, I think what's interesting is that, you know, the, the series in a certain sense is really about the, the, um, I guess the, the kind of emptiness in people's lives and, you really see that I think in in Simon's story, in Maxine's story, and you see that in I think the group of undead in Rorton that are trying to make the second rising happen. You know, these characters are all very, very sort of incomplete, and they all want certain things to happen because they think that this external event is going to make them complete and whole again in terms of an emotional component. They are looking for something larger than themselves to be a part of uh, in a lot of ways rather than just simply, I'm a dude with a family and friends and this is my life. Um, they, you know, the, the Maxine wants to get the second rising so that way her, you know, dead brother can come back and we'll all be okay in this divine religious event. Same with the undead. And, you know, rather than recognize, rather than getting, because I mean, the, the, the undead do find dignity in something larger than themselves, in their community, in their friendships with each other. They do have a sort of dignity, but that's not enough. Uh, and, I will say they are still oppressed even as they are in a community and the fa- the very fact of being in community is what makes people suspicious of them too. Yeah, no, I would agree with that because I think there's an element of, I mean, especially I think you see that in, in, in Kieran's story, especially in the last episode. I mean, I, I don't know what the fuck was happening there, but you know, it, in a certain sense, it it's a little dramatically unsatisfying because I think that some of the characters, it's a rare case of the show where characters are kind of acting in ways to drive the plot forward. You know, the show is generally very good about not doing that. And I feel very conflicted about how everyone was trying to railroad Kieran into confessing to to breaking out the um, PDS sufferers, untreated, whatever, in, in in the hospital. Because can I buy the council doing that? I don't know. Maybe. But I think that was supposed to indicate exactly how um, powerful Maxine's influence was, that she sort of had brainwashed the council into this sort of like hating all PDS sufferers with no evidence. I don't know that the show did a fantastic job of that because one of the guys on the council was the same guy who was like, no, we understand you did this in your untreated state and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it just it didn't seem to jive very well. For a me. one-handed and is then, a community that is getting... But I mean, it is a com- community that is having a flirtation and getting uh, wrapped up in a kind of fascism. Um, and I think even the people who are at one point, you know, you you, you can't say that any every anybody is one hundred percent immune to fascism, right? You know, even somebody who is sympathetic still does need to watch out for that. Still needs to. Uh, check themselves for any paranoia. Still needs to make sure that they aren't getting swept up in. You know, the excitement and the fear of everything. Yes, but I still think it happened too quickly. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where 
I mean, this is the kind of series that would be better served by being either three episodes or ten episodes, you know? I mean, that's all fine, but I I fundamentally don't buy that about Kieran's parents in the last episode because his parents have always been supportive of Kieran and they've always never viewed him as anything other. Now, yes, you can argue that suddenly they were shocked by the fact that he's going around without his makeup, but... I don't know. There's something about the last two episodes that feel very engineered to me to get to a particular yeah. place more than anything else. Yeah, and it's not it's not a fatal uh, mistake on the show's part, but it's just it's a little disappointing, and actually, frankly, makes me hesitant to see what a series three would have looked like. Well, I mean, to 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 justify the father's change in character is number one. This is coming right off of that lunch, right? So. Uh, I, I, I think his, again, let, let's, let's go with the, uh, zombie, the, with, let's go with the, the undead represent queers thing, right? Like, it's one thing for your parents to accept that you're gay, it's another to know that you're having sex parties, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they, 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 there's, they can know what you're doing and be okay, they can know who, they can know your identity and be okay with who you are, but hearing the actual details of it might freak them out a bit um and during that lunch they hear the details of what kieran did uh during that time and i think that disconcerts his father a lot um and i think his father is also somebody who believes very much in institutions Remember this entire season, he's been printing out little things about the give back scheme and saying, see, it's going to be fine. He trusts that this is going to be okay. So he, he, he hears the phrase treatment center and he thinks, oh, nothing bad could happen at a treatment center. I mean, I don't know what Norfolk is, but he is probably the only person in the world who has ever said like, oh, Norfolk's pretty nice. Um, so I... I, I, well, uh, Norfolk is a county in England. I mean, it, it's. I think that's what he means by that. Well, like it, it, it the, the, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, no, Nor- I, I don't think it's a, it's a place. Norfolk that be- is where the treat. Norfolk is where the treatment center is. What I mean it's where is it's located. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's probably the prettiest county in England. It probably is just a, you know, it's it's like somebody saying, you know, oh well, yeah, Oklahoma's great to go to. Um, you know, it, it, it's not some place that I, I don't know. Tried. I feel weird about this because I lived there. Yeah, so I, like you lived in Norfolk. It's fine. I don't know. It's pretty. I mean, it's got the fens. They're nice uh it's it's on the coast it's got the ocean there or the channel or whatever the hell it is the bay i don't know whatever i just it is. assumed it it's was fine another... it's pretty i mean okay. if if i was going to pick out like a, a non-pretty part of england it wouldn't be norfolk okay i assumed it was another shitty place like rorton but um either way no it's nice okay either either way um you know his father believes that a sick you know and, and it is bad I don't want to say it's bad timing on Kieran's part, but it's unfortunate that, you know, these fears are starting to happen in his father, that his father is starting to be, become more aware of the anti-undead propaganda that's going on. Again, that flyer comes out at the exact wrong time, and then suddenly his son's walking around, you know, without his makeup. So, uh, again, I think even his father is not immune to the fear. Um I mean, there is that bit when Kieran's yelling at Gary and saying, you know, you're just paranoid like everybody else in this town. This is a very paranoid and terrified town. And 
I think his father makes a few bad decisions out of fear. When now could they have sold? Yeah. Could they have sold that a little better? Certainly, but it doesn't seem to come out of left field for me. I just don't think that he. You know, we know watching the show, and because our sympathies are with Kieran, that going to the treatment center is a bad thing, right? It's not going to be, you know, a nice sanitarium by the sea. It's it's like being locked up in the psych ward, probably. Well, and I think that's well. There's two things there. Yes, I think you're right, and I, I just have to. I I keep. I hate to keep harping on this point, but uh, I did just look up Norfolk in the uh, Wikipedia entry. It says that it is known for its outstanding natural beauty. Wow. So, okay. Fine. Uh, <laughs> it's very nice, um, but I think that because I mean, I guess I'm harping on this point so much because I think that like Kieran's father is generally on the up and up. And so I don't think he would try and sell going back to the treatment center to Kieran on a, on like a a way to sort of be like, I don't know, like if, if they were, if the treatment center was in, you know, Jersey city or something, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it, it would, that would not be the case. But anyway, I mean, I think that what you're saying here is something that you said earlier, which is that, I don't necessarily. I can. I can see that justification for Kieran's father's actions in, in, especially in this last episode. But I just don't think that the show sells it enough because that dinner scene happens at the very end of the fourth episode. We only have two more episodes to really sell. Well, really one because most of the fifth episode is taken up, or the bulk of the fifth episode is taking up, taken up with the flashbacks to Simon, which we need to deal with. And so we don't see Kieran's father very much in the fifth episode. And in the sixth episode, he's like, well, I'm locking you in your room now, you know? And so there's not enough time yeah. for that storyline to really play out or breathe in a realistic fashion. Yeah, no. And I agree with that. And especially given the conversation between, you know, Kieran's mother and him at the end of the, at the end of episode three, back in season one, uh, I mean, doesn't she have a line like, I'd love you if you came back as a goldfish or something like that? Like, she doesn't fight at all. Now, you know, she eventually, her conscience does get the better of her, um, you know, when Shirley is talking to her at the fate, but, um, you know, a little too late at that point. But, and Kieran's father's conscience does get the better of him as well. I mean, he does... You know, when he, when Kieran goes rabid in that scene, that is the least human, quote unquote, that Kieran is. And that is the part when, you know, the father's love comes out the strongest. I mean, he is still loving his son while his son is like grabbing at him. So, you know, I, I, I buy, I guess I buy that the show lets his father mistrust him because at the end, he does get the change of heart who he does show, you know, he does overcome his own fears. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I, I think that that, that last scene with Kieran going rabid and all that kind of stuff, I think it's done very well because that scene is almost really the, the, the climax of the entire storyline yeah. in terms of the town going nuts. And, everyone kind of wakes up at that point, you know, everyone was kind of like on edge because, you know, Maxine's talking about the second rising. The vicar was talking about the second rising, all of the undead, the town constantly are talking about the second rising and then it doesn't happen. And so they all sort of realize that they have to go on with their normal lives Mm -hmm. in a sense. And, you know, Jem breaks up with Gary and, and, you know, there's a, there's that great line um, at the very end of the sixth episode where she says, you know, if it's your word against his, I choose yours. Yeah. And, 
that's really nice. And I think that that shows that, that Kieran is being integrated back into his family again. Now, you know, whether or not he would want to be is another question. Yeah. But And I think that, Je- you know, Jem finally, you know, con- you know, Jen confessing to the murder of poor Henry and, you know, finally saying, like, I need help, like, all of her... I, I think Kieran is realizing that her reactions to him weren't entirely about him uh, and that she was really – it was her own shit. I mean I think the part of her that you know accepts him at the beginning of the first season and the part of her at the end who is actually talking to him and trusting him is quote-unquote who Jem really is. But you know, there's been a lot of other crap that she hasn't had worked through properly. And I think also, you know, key to that as well is the fact that the Kieran essentially doesn't wear his makeup for the last two episodes yeah. at all. And, you know, that's a big change for him as well. And I think when he's comforting Jem in that scene, he's not wearing his makeup. Yes. So that's a nice little visual visual indicator that they're becoming more comfortable with who he is as a person. Yeah, both of them are showing kind of the not perfect parts of each other to each other and still, you know, accepting and loving and figuring out how to work with and deal with all that. So speaking about not perfect parts of a person, uh, Maxine goes crazy and murders Amy (sighs) and then has that unhinged speech at the, at the town council building. Uh, I was, I was always a little on the fence about her character because I knew where this was going. And now that you know where it was going, how do you feel? about? I mean, this, this, I'm 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 thinking about her conversation with the vicar when he's rambling in the same almost the same exact way that she's rambling at the end um and she says oh my god you're you know so unhinged about this and she lets him die and all of that um I don't know if it's just simply saying that you can't pers- that this path leads to madness no matter what like the uh the inability to except what is is going to lead to you going a little going a little nuts but i don't know it does seem like she gets there a little too quickly and that she did all of this to have a second rising uh let me put it this way i had i had that thought in the back of my mind at one point like oh maybe this is why she's trying to frame the first undead but no that's too ridiculous i'm not going to even say it on the podcast it's so stupid (laughs) right yeah because you know as it turns out like her entire modus operandi here was to bring about the second rising she wanted to identify the first risen because in a certain sense maxine and and perhaps victus are even i don't know are the the living that are buying into the idea of the second rising and so you know whether or not you know we had this theory that she lost someone in the rising and and maybe she did maybe she didn't but that doesn't seem to be really the impetus for her joining vectus and and her brother has died you know close to you know 15 years before the rising even so right and and he died at a very young age he died when he was what 6 or 7 yeah. so i don't know how i feel about that i think that what I what we keep coming back to at, at each of, talking about each of these story threads is that the first two thirds of this second series are pretty good, and the last two episodes just realize that they're ending, and they try and shortcut a bunch of stuff, and it doesn't quite hang together. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. Um, it it 
it's not quite the lost problem of it can't tell if it's a character show, you know, wrapped. It's not quite the problem with lost where it can't tell if it's a science fiction story with deep characters or a character drama that's hung on a science fiction plot, but it's, it's a, it's, it, it, I feel similarly about it. It can't really tell what kind of show it was in the end. Yeah, I agree with that because I, I I think that you know we we still have a couple of things that I that I want to talk yeah. about before we wrap this up. But uh, you know that that's a good segue to kind of talk about the show as a whole because you know it is only nine episodes. It's about nine hours. It's not an extensive you know series of of television or anything like that. So, but it has a very very sort of split personality, which is very strange for a show that is so short. I mean. You know, I keep coming back to the idea that the show wanted to be more ambitious than it ultimately could be. And, you know, six episodes is not enough to tell this ambitious of a story. I think that, you know, if it had been more assured in its in its renewal, frankly, uh, it, 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 it probably would have behooved them to spread this story out over, say, you know, 12 episodes instead yeah. of six and then the you know a, a you know a, a sort of fourth series would have been the 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 ending point or something like that you know i just think that there's i'm not faulting the show for having ambition i think that the show sticks the landing more often than it doesn't this is a good show i think there's a lot here and i think we're getting a lot out of it but you know it is just the case that it doesn't quite add up and I think it doesn't quite add up because, like you said, the show isn't exactly sure of what its ultimate aims are in terms of, you know, in, in terms of uh, metaphor and in terms of its, its sort of plots and all that kind of stuff. You know, it just it's not really sure what it's trying to be. Yeah. And again, like Lost, what I found the most satisfying about it were the character moments. I mean, the... I only sort of care about what exactly is happening to Amy. Uh, what I do care about is, you know, the burgeoning relationship between her and Philip, the tragic sense of it, the fact that, you know, Maxine is somebody so consumed by her plan that she isn't able to see the humanity of the people around her, things like that, um, rather than the nuts and bolts of what is going on. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that the 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 one not fatal mistake that the show made in the second season, but it is a mistake, and I think the second season is lesser for it, is that it really did mistake the the where where people find this show interesting and what the real interesting parts of this show are are the plot and not the characters. Yeah. Um and I mean I did care about the plot. I do find it interesting, but uh, again, it could have either been sh- it should have either been shorter or a, you know another season and get a little more into the mythology because I mean this this is the this is the kind of show whose mythology is fairly potent and uh, a little goes a long way I would say with it and at the end it feels maybe over seasoned is the best way to s- describe that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that that. Well, let's talk about about Simon's yeah. storyline in episode five, then, because I think I think it was I think it was necessary, and I think it's interesting, but I think it's where the show falls down the most. Yeah, well, again, I y- y- it it feels, but you know, in t- in making everybody connected to something else, 
it makes the thing it makes everything feel a lot smaller than it should be. Simon just happens to be the first undead to respond to the treatment. Uh, his cellmate happens to be the the guy that Gary pulled the shower curtain through. I mean, that detail was, I found, ridiculous. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, and he might even be the undead prophet. That's even worse to me. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, well, who's the undead prophet, Simon? No, no, his cellmate, his friend. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if he's supposed to be the undead prophet because he says he has a message from the undead prophet. Yeah, so. that, it's ambiguous. He is the one who invites him into the—either way, he is the one who invites him into the fold. And again, he just happens to be the focus of the story that uh, cli- you know, that climaxes uh, Kieran's final awakening in episode four. Right, right. Because I think that that on a certain sense, you know, you can hand wave this away as saying, well, the show is mystical and the show yeah. is sort of, you know, met- metaphysical and all this kind of stuff. And the show has religious undertones. And obviously, um, Simon's story was was very religious and in, 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 in feeling, if not in actual plot. But and so getting away from the sort of me- mechanistic elements of the plot, I think are OK. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the fact that and you know i think that if you are looking at this in terms purely of a, a non-religious or a non-mystical version of this story i don't think there's any real way that you can justify having simon be the first undead to respond to the drug that just doesn't make any well, sense well yes and now, no because that, that, it could just simply be that the undead prophet picked the first 12 people to rise and you know, that's who his disciples are, and he sends his disciple to Rorton. I mean, there is a reason that Simon is picked to do this mission. I, 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 maybe a hand wave, but... Well, no, I mean, because we know that Kieran and Amy were f- two of the first people to rise, so that doesn't track. And, you know, so I don't know that there's really a good reason why it's Simon. Uh, maybe it's just that the undead prophet... Who is the undead prophet? Yeah. What was exactly happening there? There there are these scenes of Simon having visions. What are we supposed to take from that? Or, or, you know, the show seems to really be arguing that there is a religious component to this story that is actually true. And I guess maybe there is because we still don't know why the rise, the first rising happened. Uh, we don't know what the reasons for that are. We don't know who the undead prophet is. We never actually see this person in in the flesh. You know, not yeah. not to make a pun, but it's true. And I think even if you look at the title of the show, uh, it has religious implications. Yeah. I mean, um, even something as you know, Maxine even has a religious moment when she's you know saying, "Oh God, give me a sign," and then uh, what's you know the and B lady calls her down and to that you know to see the finale of hard graft and that's when she finds out who the first risen really was because i guess the the real the the, the real question what it fundamentally comes down to for me and what simon's storyline in particular and this entire conversation makes me wonder is the show has two very very parallel elements to it which is science and faith right and if all of the mystical elements of the rising, you know, we, we don't know why the rising happened. We don't know what the reasons are for it. Uh, we, we don't know uh, even, you know, when I say why it happened, I mean both why it actually physically happened and what the, re- what the purpose of it is. And if there is a spiritual element to this show that is true, 
then the first rising happened for a specific reason that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the other half of that, which is the fact that these scientists discovered a drug that would turn the undead back into the people they used to be. So in a certain sense, you could say that that shortcut what was going on and caused all these issues. But I don't know what we're supposed to to take from that then. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little unclear about that because the show seems to be arguing that Simon was one of the first undead to respond to neurotryptyline, so there is some sort of mystical element there. The undead prophet perhaps picked undead that were reacting to neurotryptyline for some reason. But if neurotryptyline was never discovered, if the the zombies had just decimated, you know, the United Kingdom, what would that have what would have been the reason for that and i don't know that the show has a good answer yeah i mean if this bit about you know the first risen needs to be sacrificed at this very specific point well if britain had been overrun by zombies nobody would be around to con- you know to 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 make that sacrifice right no one would have been coherent enough to do that Right. And so this seems to be like chasing its own tail. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, I will argue that if we do have a show which argues that, you know, some form of divinity causes the rising, uh, you know, go so far as to tell Maxine the moment to come downstairs to find, you know, if, if there is a, a, con- a divine consciousness orchestrating all of these, then um, he's talking to Halperin and Weston and whispering the formula for neurotryptyline in their ear. I mean, there is that. Is ne- You know, yeah, neurotryptyline could just be part of God's plan. I, I think that, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But there, there's another element to, to that company that whose name i can never remember halpern weston that 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 halpern and weston there you go that just seems kind of strange to me they have their they have another agenda we don't know what that agenda is i mean i hate i mean to be blunt like i hated that scene with um the the whatever you know bureaucrat functionary that was going to norfolk and seeing this because you know that that scene was like ah yes we're we'll call it (laughs) partially diseased it's like nothing happens like that in real life you know and that's so, one of those shitty things that's in a prequel you know what i mean yeah well that that entire storyline felt like a prequel you know it's kind of like what's going on here why are we seeing this and i think partially we're seeing it because the show wanted to elevate simon's importance and i don't think it needed to be i also think partially it was there to give some simon backstory which was necessary and certainly his backstory is tragic uh, but also partially, I think it was there to remind the audience of exactly how terrible the treatment center was going into the sixth episode, yeah. knowing that that was going to be an integral part of Kieran's story. Uh, I'm okay with two of those three things. I'm not okay with the first part of that. I also feel like those two things were nice, but, and maybe, you know, we do need to humanize Simon uh, to make sure that we know that, you know, He's just a dude who's crazy about Kieran and really conflicted by this. And he's not, you know, up till that point, we aren't really sure the sincerity of him. And, you know, after his backstory, we do kind of buy that he is lost, that the Undead Prophet's uh, cult is really the family that he never really had or hasn't had for a while. They are what's, you know, they are his home and... 
you know, Kieran is feeling like a new home to him and all of that. But, um, I, 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 I knew that the treatment center was a bad thing. I mean, they've, I think they've sold that car already. Um, and either way, all of the stuff about the, um, the give back scheme, you know, makes me really not trust any large organization in the world of this. Right, right. I mean, this is this is this is a this is the kind of a story that assumes once you have more than a dozen people in an organization, that organization becomes very toxic. Whether it's a parish council, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a cult of believers, uh, any large group of people is going to cause fascism. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it's interesting as well because, uh, you know, like just as a side point, I I don't necessarily know why the show is so insistent on the idea that the parish council is some sort of, I don't know, like, you know, Soviet that is directing citizens to arrest people and (laughs) stuff. It's just very strange to me. Like, England has rule of law. You know, it's just that wouldn't happen. I, I don't know. It's like it's almost painting this portrait of like it, it. I don't know. The show is very unclear about how exactly society broke down and how how uh, how yeah. fixed it is. Right. Like there's maybe there are no I mean, police in Wharton because they're all dead. But yeah, we don't know. The show never answers that question. So but even if there are no police, you know, all of the police in Wharton have died. It's been a few years. There's no more police now. I mean, the police as an organization have ceased to exist. Right. I mean, be- be- because in real life, a bunch of police officers get killed in an accident or whatever. New people are going to train and become cops. They'll send some from other towns. You know, they'll, they'll, uh, again, we, you know, we have, can an MP go and, you know, direct stuff locally? Is that just a, weirdness of i i mean there is a moment in which um i i i the bnb lady says oh you know you have a message from uh and it's a higher up in victus talking you know talking to maxine and we never really find out what that message is is it saying you know oh you know good luck with your evil plan you know continue on or is it saying maxine where the hell are you why aren't you in the office Uh, right you're fired (laughs) like we we, you know and is it just simply that rorton is so crazy that somebody like maxine can come in and take power in that way and they're just gonna let her because you know why not i mean that is part of I, I I I believe there is some of that going on in this story that, you know, just because there is no just because Maxine may have no legal power to do what she wants. Everybody's just kind of going along with it because it's a mob, I guess. But I mean, <laughs> that's rationalization after the fact. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's something about it that does. I mean, I, I think part of the problem is that when you brought in the the world of the story it invites these sort of questions and the thing just starts falling apart yeah once you make you know when when the more realism you add to something the more details the more certain lack of details become obvious it's an uncanny valley thing right because like i mean for example just as a small a small example of that you know Wharton seems to be a, a fully functioning town the the supermarket from the first series has reopened uh there don't really seem to be any like abandoned or boarded up homes anywhere um, the town seems to be fully populated. You know, there's there's functioning government in the town. There's shops. Mm-hmm. There's a school. There's a large school with teachers, and you know, 
And and then, of course, the only casualty of the rising and uninstitutional level seems to be the fish and chip shop that Simon's father doesn't go to anymore. Right. That, like, well, that's, that what in- I, that's what I was getting at is like then we see in Simon's flashback that wherever Simon and his father live, we don't know where they live. Um, Ireland, it's implied because he did keep saying he's the Irish guy. Well, Northern Ireland, at least um, mm. that I, I don't know. I have no idea. But. Then they say, like, oh, well, the fish and chip shop that we used to go to never reopened. And you're like, okay, well, the person died. Fine. But you're not – you're never really – and then they talk about the war. Like, this could end the war. Like, you don't name something a war unless it's going very badly. You know, it seems like – and especially in the first series where – you know, the entire setup for the show was that essentially the, you know, British government sent all of the troops to the south of England because that's where most of the people and the money are and basically abandoned the north and all of the citizens up there had to band together in the human volunteer force and, and save themselves. You know, what what institutions are left? What people are left? How 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 much has society broken down and how much of it has been repaired? What sort of ch- what sort of changes to the structure of British government and society have happened? You know, we don't know. We don't know the answers to these questions. And like I said before, the more the show broadens this story out, the the more it needs to have answers for those questions and it doesn't seem like it does. And here's the other thing. How is it going to end the war because, you know, it requires the they still need to catch all the undead wandering yeah you know they it's not like they're okay well we'll you know just get a plane and we'll crop dust all the fields of zombie like no they have to administer neurotriptyline over a period of time before it starts working they need to do that through injection and you know yeah i mean we've seen them rounding up zombies so they still need you know whether they're shooting the, the the undead or they're um rounding them up you still need manpower and you know certainly you know you know at least to Halpern and Weston who are you know we will be charitable and say they haven't really thought out the implications of what's going to happen as we see in the series it's not ending the war in any other way it's just ending the war in a better way in a way that doesn't involve murdering these people in a way that involves you know kind of taking it back yeah yeah, I think you're right. Well, I don't know. At the end of the day, though, all of this aside, uh, do you think this is a... Did you get something out of this? Do you think this is a worthy show to watch? Yeah, I think it was a worthy show. Uh, well, it, season one was a worthy show. Um, I I would recommend people watch series one. If they feel like watching series two, great. If they don't, um, I don't think they'll be upset about that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a waste of time. Right. Like I, I enjoyed I, a lot of it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that series one is obviously the, the stronger story. It's the more self-contained story. It has a very, very narrow particular focus that it is kind of laser lasered onto. It works brilliantly. Like, I think it's really well done. The second season is messy. And, you know, it has false starts and it has some things that don't really work. And there are some questionable plotting and character choices. And I think the show was, I don't know, I, at the end of the day, though, I feel like the show was trying to be more ambitious than it perhaps could pull off in this number of episodes. But I can't really fold it for that because it's still yeah. it still stuck the landing on the part of the show that I enjoy the most, which is the character stuff. 
And if season three had happened, it might have, again, part of me feels like, well, this was kind of unresolved in some ways. And, you know, maybe it would have made it, you know, maybe it would have been the final part of some of these themes. Some of these scenes seem like they just kind of happen and they don't mean anything in the larger picture, but we're missing a few pieces still. Again, you get the I do not doubt that he knew exactly what season three would have been about and where these things would have been going. Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, I mean, I would I would I'm not upset that the show is ended like this. I mean, if they if he had managed if he manages somehow to uh, convince someone to pony up the money for a a television movie or, you know, a short, um, you know, three or four episode last season to wrap the story up, I I would watch it and I think it would probably be pretty good. Um, But if the show if we never get more in the flesh, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of saying it. I will say one thing I was very satisfied in with the show is, you know, the video game puzzle where you have the key and you'd use the pencil and the piece of paper. We actually see that. I've never seen that in a show before. And I was very happy to see it done in in life. I'm not sure what you're talking about. You know, when, when Kieran is locked in his room and he, you know, pokes the key out and he gets it with the newspaper oh yeah yeah i've done that puzzle so many times so it's nice to see someone using it hey it worked his parents are not exactly the the smartest people in the room i guess all right about his timing though yeah that's true all right well i think we'll leave it there for in the flesh we hope you enjoyed this uh break from the x files if you have any thoughts on the last two episodes of the show please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com you can ch- check out our patreon patreon.com slash truck show the special we released for five dollar a month patrons just a couple weeks ago was a special listener question extravaganza we asked all sorts of questions we answered all sorts of questions, not asked. Although maybe if we'll do a listener question where we ask listeners questions, that seems complicated, and I don't think we'll do that. Well, no, 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 no. We read the questions before we answered them, so we did ask a bunch of questions. They just weren't our questions. That is true. That that's very good. I I, I like it when uh, your prescriptivism works in my favor. See. Uh, Please do go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. We do not have a new one to read you this month or this week. Not this month, but uh, hopefully soon. All right. We're getting back to the X-Files next week. Are you excited? Finally, I am very excited. I, I have been wondering... What was happening to Mulder and Scully and the aliens and the deep throat? No, he's dead. The deeper throat, he's still alive. And is Krychek still with us? What's going on with Skinner? Nobody knows, but we're going to find out. Well, we'll find out in one week's time when we talk about Heron Volk and Home, which, Richard, I just have to say one additional piece of information about Home for you. I'm ready. Do you remember a little writing duo that wrote for the first season called Glenn Morgan and James Wong? Yeah. They're back. Is it another uh Is it another Tombs episode? It is not. Mac, why do you-